sermon. So Genesis chapter 39, starting in verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her or lie beside her or be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment and by her until his master, her, his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. Verse 19. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him succeed. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. Chapel, it's good to be here with you. Um, some uh, guys are in the building, good to be with them, and it's good to be with you who are online. Just a few announcements before we dive into God's word. Uh, the passage this morning, as Jared just read, Genesis chapter 39, a very familiar story uh, to all of us. 
Uh, my hope is that I'll, uh, through God's uh, divine goodness and kindness and wisdom, will bring out a few things that we may have not seen before. Just a handful of announcements, then we'll pray, and then we'll start this morning in Genesis 39. Uh, we will gather again starting on uh, January the 24th back in the building. Uh, so uh, we'll be off again next week and then come back on the 24th. So that's Sunday the 24th. We'll gather again at 1015 here in the sanctuary. Uh, the children will be back down in the children's uh, wing. And so uh, no Sunday school. That will, We'll announce that in the coming months. Uh, we continue to pray and seek God when to uh, bring us all back together. So again, starting January the 24th, we'll gather back together uh, in God's house. Also, this coming Wednesday, o'clock, we will begin our new book study, uh, Praying the Bible. This semester, this uh, spring, our hope is to really grasp what it means to pray, the reason to pray, the how to pray, and uh, the, see the benefits of that prayer. We'll be walking through a book called Praying the Bible uh, by Donald Whitney. If you need a copy of that book, just email me, email Tracy, uh, post it on Facebook, and we will have copies available here in the building. Uh, again, that's uh, Praying the Bible, Donald Whitney. Just ask for a, a book. Uh, we'll get you one. We'll be starting this coming Wednesday at 6 o'clock. And lastly, we have a business meeting on February the 10th. We did not have one in January. We'll have one uh, on the 10th of February. That's again on Wednesday night, February the 10th, here in the building at 6 o'clock. Let me pray for us, and then we'll start. Uh, this morning in God's holy word. Let us pray together. God, thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your generosity to us, your favor on us. Again, we continue that you would pour out your wisdom upon us. God, we do, we ask even now that you would uh, be watching over our country as we, your people, pray for this country. All the turmoil, all the chaos, all the... Um, fraction that is happening in our country because of uh, um, politics. Uh, God, we continue to rest, though, in knowing without out a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, that you are in control and sovereign over all things. You tell us that in Romans chapter 13, that no man is put into position of authority without uh, you divining that appointment. And so we know that to be true. And that may not be that we like it, we understand it, but it is not outside of your kindness, your goodness, and your sovereignty um, of this change that is occurring. And so we pray that we would seek you and seek your peace, not what man can give, not what government can give, but what you offer and you do give. I pray for us this morning as we look into your word, I pray that as we look at this very familiar passage here in Genesis 39, that you would open our minds and our hearts to things uh, maybe that we have not seen, maybe things that we have seen, but yet have not put them into practice. I pray that you would uh, guide us and convict us and encourage us and strengthen us, make us more like your son Jesus. As you say, tell us in your word, be holy for you are holy. So I pray that this word, uh, the teaching of it, the sitting under of it, the proclamation of it uh, would make us more holy, make us more Christ-like. So we are grateful for your inerrant, inspired, infallible word that you have offered to us and you've given to us freely. And we delight in it as we look to delight in you. Guide us this morning, I pray. Amen. 
we have uh, taken about six weeks away from the book of Genesis. We've been in the book of Genesis a little over a year and a half. Uh, We are in the tail end of Genesis. If you uh, are just now joining us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other uh, messages online. Uh, This for us has been just a journey through the, 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 the first book of the Bible, but it's not just the first book of the Bible alone. It's really that's the reason we've called this series Origins. It's where we find just about all that we believe to be true about God, about what God has done, about God's sovereignty, about God's promises, uh, about the salvation that will come to us through Christ Jesus. We see that all here in the book of Genesis. We're at the very tail end of Genesis. We come to the last main character, Joseph. If you were with us several, about six weeks ago, we started Joseph's life in chapter 38. So I want to kind of recap, kind of bring us up to speed where we're at in Genesis chapter 39. But Genesis 38, we get a detailed picture of who Joseph is. Joseph was the beloved child of his mother and his father, his Father loved him so much that he gave him uh, this beautiful garment, this coat of many colors, as it's been called. He was the, the apple of his dad's eye. It, he was the son of the, his mother who was barren and could have no children. So he was a well-loved child. He had older siblings who looked at him and had great resentment and disdain because of his favor that his parents put on him. Not only that, did Joseph have great uh, resentment towards him from his brothers because of their love, their parents' love for him, but also because there's these two distinct dreams that Joseph had. And Joseph came and he had these two dreams. And in the two dreams, they both were the same thing, that one day his family would come and bow down to him, that his older brothers would serve the younger brother and that they would be in great need of him. Well, as you could imagine, as older siblings would, and especially older brothers would, they resented him even more to to think that this young punk kid would say to his older siblings that they would serve him. So they harbored this bitterness in their heart towards Joseph all of his life until the very end. And then one afternoon, Joseph, his dad, sent him to go check on his brothers in the pasture. His brothers had taken their father's um, flock, and we're going uh, about the pasture to feed them, to water them, to nurture them, to take care of them. And so young Joseph was sent by his father to uh, Jacob to look after his brothers or to check in on them, to check in on them, their well-being and bring uh, that report back to their father. And on coming to his brothers, his brothers saw him in the distance. They noticed that bright uh, coat of many colors, and they desired the the came up with this plan to kill their younger brother, to get him out of the way, to get their resentment dealt with. So they had this master plan that they would actually not kill him per se, because wiser brains prevailed, that they would just throw young Joseph into a pit. And they would take young Joseph's garment off of him, the coat of many colors, and splatter blood on it and then they would bring that garment back to the father and the father would determine because of the blood on the garment that young Joseph had been killed and they were going to 
come up with this plan. Well, one brother decided that that's not the plan uh, that they should do. But as fate would have it, they decided to throw him into a pit. The older brother was unable to rescue young his young brother before the other brothers decided when this caravan of Ishmaelites came upon the scene, they would just sell young Joseph off. Get them get him finally out of their hair. And still come up with a plan that the brother had been killed by wild animals. And so at the end of 37, we see this picture of young Joseph with this caravan of these wicked Ishmaelites heading towards Egypt. We're told in verse uh, 35 and 36 that um, he was sold to the Egyptian Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard. Chapter 38 is about Judah, his older brother, and Tamar, and their sexual relationship and the chaos that came with that. Just for the sake of time, I will not recap chapter 38. But I will start with chapter 39. So here's the story that young Joseph, as it is said, is sent off, sold into slavery to the Egyptians, to Potiphar. Potiphar was an official of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of the land. And many scholars believe, we see that in the text, that this was basically the Egyptian Potiphar was Pharaoh's right-hand man. He was the captain of the guard. He was the great executioner. He had many, many, many responsibilities. He was a man of great wealth and great power. But we see the sovereignty of God in this story. Three things I want to see today in this text. I want to look at Joseph's success, Joseph's seduction, and Joseph's steadfastness. Joseph's success, his seduction, and his steadfastness. Let's look first at his success. I think the key verse, there's really two key verses and they kind of book in the passage. The first one is in verse 2. It says, The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. We see the very tail end of this chapter. It says this in verse 23, The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. So we see the success of Joseph. But there's a caveat in those two verses. The success of Joseph was not because of Joseph. It wasn't because of his talents. It wasn't because he was determined. It wasn't because he had great worth ethic. It wasn't because he was the wisest man, the strongest man, the most brilliant man. It was simply this. Joseph's success came from God himself. So if you take those two verses, then everything in between this, this passage of Scripture could be said of this. This is about the sovereignty of God, not about Joseph. God had placed Joseph in a position and God had given him success to determine what would come out of this passage. So often we can read this passage and we can study this passage and 
many preachers have done it. They have gone to this passage to talk about fleeing sexual temptation. Yes, that's in the passage, but that's not the primary key or what we draw out primarily of this text. This text is not about fleeing sexual temptation, though it is in there. The primary key is this. Success comes from God being with His people. The only way that Joseph was able to be successful, I'll get to it in a minute, in his fleeing of temptation, not was because he fleed temptation, it was because of the Lord's intervention that he was able to flee temptation. If we read this passage and think it's simply about fleeing temptation, then we will work our, our, our hands, our feet, our hearts to the bone trying to flee temptation on our own. No, the passage is primarily about success being given to us by God. So two things I want to look at this first point. Success of Joseph or Joseph's success. First is the grounds of his success. Four, four times in this entire passage we see that phrase. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. This simply tells us that all of our success will be because of God's goodness and kindness and sovereignty to us. We, we must know that when success happens, it's not anything that we have mustered on our own. We, we cannot come and we cannot pat ourselves on the back when we become successful. All that you have has been given to you by God. All of the things that you have pertained are given to you by God. It's because God is with you. Therefore, we must know that if God is with us, then how do we become successful? I think Paul says it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. If we understand that God is with us, then we will have a good work ethic. We will rise early in the morning and we will work hard. Not because we want to achieve anything. Not because we want more money, more stuff, a bigger house, a nicer car, nicer clothes. We will understand what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. We will understand our success comes from God. And if our success comes from God, then we will put this into practice. So whatever you eat or drink, this is 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, Whatever work you do, Paul says this, do it all for the glory of God. See, I believe that Joseph, over and over in this text, over and over in his life, he understood that God was with him because God was with him. He was going to do all that he did as hard as he could do it, not because he wanted to achieve anything, simply because, as the Apostle Paul says, he wanted to do it for the glory of God. I would ask this question before I move on. Do you see your success because God is with you? And do you do all that you do for the glory of God? If you don't, I'm not saying you will not be successful. We see many people in our day and age successful. Millionaires. They have stuff. But they give no glory to God. You see, 
one of the things about giving glory to God and being successful in His eyes is that we will obtain, as God says through Christ Jesus, we will obtain many crowns. And in those crowns, we will be able to be successful, but one day we'll lay those crowns before God in eternity. My prayer is that my life, your life, will be marked with success because of the glory of God so that therefore then we can go before God and present those crowns before Him in all of His glory. So not only do we see that He was successful, the grounds of it was because God is with Him, but we also see that His success was great in verses 1 through 6. It says the Lord was with Joseph, this is verse 2, and he became very successful. And he was in the house of the Egyptian master. His master saw what? That the Lord was with him and that the Lord had caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in the sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put everything in charge of all that he had. From that time he had made him overseer and all of his house, all over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had. You see, not only did he have grounds for success because God was with him, but he had great success because God was with him. You see, God is the one that causes both our success and the quantity of our success. I believe also that we can see in this passage this great success that Joseph had was to fulfill the promise that God had made to Joseph's great-grandfather Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. You remember that great promise that God had given to Abraham, the covenantal promise. But in that promise, in verse 3 of chapter 12, it says this, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God had placed young Joseph in the house of Potiphar, gave him great success to fulfill one, just one of the promises that God had made back in Genesis 12. That they were, that, that he, that that line would be a blessing to many, many So Joseph did have great success because God was with him and because God desired to fulfill one of his promises. You see, our success as believers in the hands of God will always be to fulfill his promises. Your success is not about you, but it's about the great God that has given you all that success. But what happens with great success? With great success also comes great temptation. It says this as we transition into the rest of the passage in, in verse 6. So if Joseph is in charge of all that Potiphar had, nothing was left out of his charge except the very thing that the Egyptian would eat. And now in verse 6b it says this, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So with this great success, with this great uh, provision from God, even in his appearance, 
would come one of the greatest temptations we can see in Scripture. Young Joseph would be seduced. Those words might sound familiar to us, those in verse 6. He was handsome in form and appearance. It's the same exact Hebrew words that were used about his mom. His mom was a beautiful woman. So I guess as the old saying goes, he looked a lot like his mom. He got his looks, if you will, from his mom. So here's this young, attractive male in the house of Potiphar. And now there's this seductive woman in his life. It says this, after a time, we're not sure how long that time was, the master or Potiphar's wife cast her eyes onto Joseph. In other words, that Potiphar's wife finally saw Joseph, saw him in appearance, and lusted after Joseph. She was drawn to Joseph, I would say both his appearance and his power. There was something about young Joseph that this woman, her eye caught on to. And it says this in verse 7. She pours on the seduction. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes onto Joseph, and she said to him, lie with me. Here's a young man, maybe right at his early 20s, maybe late teens, hormones raging. This beautiful woman, Potiphar's wife, comes and seduces young Joseph. Now, everything in the story of Joseph could have changed in this moment. Right? Everything that Potiphar had was Joseph. This woman, Potiphar's wife, she had power as well. Very rarely was she told no. He was also a slave. We'll see later on in the passage. He was sold into slavery. And so when the master would come and tell the slave what to do, the slave had responsibility to obey the master. So young Joseph, raging with hormones, could have said, well, the master told me to do it. I had to do it to be in obedience to the master or the master's wife. But he prevails. And look what he prevails. We see in this great seduction, this great temptation, to sleep with Potiphar's wife, Joseph has a small but powerful speech that I believe that we can learn from this morning. She says, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of my master has no concern about anything in this house. He has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He makes three appeals to keep himself holy. The first one of this. He sees that his integrity is on the line. That his integrity is more important than his obedience to a woman. We're going to see what his obedience or who his obedience is towards. But he says, I have integrity that I cannot break. I wonder for us, church, when it comes to sin, not just sexual sin, but all sin, when that temptation comes, do we fight the evil one with our integrity on the line? Do we state that we are integrous people? 
or we def- do we fold like a cheap lawn chair? Not only does he say in his speech about his integrity, but he says this. He has regard for her marriage that she does not have for her own marriage. You, you see what he says. He understands the importance of marriage. My master has given me everything in this house. He has held nothing back from me except you because you are his wife. He understood the bond and the commitment and the covenantal relationship that marriage stood for. So he defends his integrity. He defends her honor and her marriage. But last, and I would say most importantly, those two things hinges on this one phrase that he understood. He understood he had integrity because why? He understood that she had a marriage that meant something because why? Because I can, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. He has this understanding that this sin, falling into sexual temptation, this lust, would not just be simply defiling himself, defiling her, defiling Pharaoh, but most importantly, God. He understood that his sin would wreak havoc in his life because of the broken relationship he had with God. I wonder if this is a story that may have flashed in the mind of David years later. Remember when David was up on his rooftop. He saw beautiful Bathsheba bathing a few houses away. It catches his attention and he begins to lust. That temptation grabbed him rather than what we see Joseph do. But remember David sins with Bathsheba. He breaks his integrity. He breaks her marriage, he breaks his relationship with God, then the prophet Nathan shows up on the scene and he has this interaction with David and at at the end of that interaction where Nathan is rebuking David for his sin, we know what David says. This is 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. David said then to Nathan, I have sinned against who? God. He doesn't say, I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against Uriah. I've sinned against Bathsheba. No, he says simply, I've sinned against God. He says it this way in Psalm 51. This is the psalm about that moment of adultery in his life. His confession of that adultery. He says this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And he says this, against you and you Alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, Joseph understood that even more than David did that day. He understood that if he sinned, it'd be against God and God alone first. But look what happens. Even when he makes this great speech about his integrity, about her marriage, and about his relationship with God, that temptation, that sin, that 
evil one does not depart from him immediately. It says this in verse 10. And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. That temptation, that seduction, happened day after day after day after day. You see, church, just because we say no to sin one time does not mean that sin will give up. I had a mentor say, sin is in the parking lot doing push-ups while I'm in here praising God. Sin is, as he, we studied back in Genesis chapter 4, I believe, sin is crouching at our door. Sin is going to be ruthless towards us. But we must hold on to what Joseph held on to, his integrity and to his God and his God alone. When temptation comes, when seduction comes, day after day after day, will we be beat down enough that one day we say yes, or will we continue to hold on to those few words that Joseph and David did years later? How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That is our only line of defense against temptation. She won't let up. And then the temptation always gets progressive or harder. Right? So she comes day after day after day saying, listen to me, to lie down with me. He refuses her day after day. And then it says this, but one day, this one day, when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men of the house were there in the house. So here young Joseph is doing what he's been commanded to do, doing what God had sent him to do, doing with all of his heart and sin, keeps knocking at his door. I believe that voice of hers got louder and louder and louder. No one was at the house. Verse 12, she caught him by his garments. Now sin, now the temptation has finally become even more personal. It touches him. It grabs him by his garment, it says. And she says the same three words. Lie with me. Lie with me. And now we see probably one of the most famous verses in all the Bibles about what it looks like to run from temptation. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. He, when it got so personal, finally ran for it. He did not fight it. He did not interact with it. He did not have another conversation with it. He, he did not go back and appeal to her as he did in his first speech about his integrity, her marriage, or his God. He simply ran for his life. And I wonder, church, how often for us in our temptation, in our being seduced, do we continue to barter with sin or negotiate with sin where simply our response must simply be, I must run from sin. And I would ask you this question. I would ask myself this question this morning. 
Am I more in the business of bartering with sin, having a conversation with sin, or fleeing from sin? We must flee temptation. Paul tells us that in Corinthians. Flee all kinds of sexual immorality. Run for your life. So he runs out of the house, and doing so, he leaves his garment. Him and his garment, they don't have a good, it's not a good omen for him, if you will. The first time he had a garment, he got sold into slavery. The second time is now this woman steals it from him and gets accused of raping her, basically. So he leaves his garment. She grabs his garment. As soon as she saw that he had left his garment, she holds on to it. And then she called the men of her household together and said, see what this Hebrew, it's a racial term, uh, has come to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out. And so she's making up this great story about young Joseph. And on and on it goes until finally the master Potiphar gets home and she retells the story again. But now she makes it even more personal. The first time it says he's come to laugh at us. Now she says he's come to laugh at me. One sidebar. Every time that we run from temptation. We will be victorious over temptation. But that does not mean that there won't always be negative consequences for our running from temptation. The stories, the lies that will be told when we fight for our integrity, when we fight for our God, when we fight for our holiness, Satan will be livid and the accusations will come. That is what happened to young Joseph. It wasn't that his problems went away when he fled. His problems got worse, as we'll see. And so this woman tells the story to, his, to her husband, Potiphar says that Potiphar is enraged. He's angry at what has gone down. This Hebrew servant, this is in verse 18, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice he, and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of his house. Verse 19, as soon as his master heard these words that his wife had spoken, this is the way that your servant had treated him. His anger was kindled. Potiphar is livid. I think it two things. Maybe not implicit in the text or explicit in the text. But I can see, and we can see based on Potiphar's response, I think two things. One, I think he knew his, his wife was not honest. Be, because the first thing that would ever happen to a man that raped a woman he would be killed on sight that was the punishment for rape or idolatry or, or uh, uh, adultery that they would be killed but we see that Potiphar does not do this I think there's something in Potiphar's heart and mind that know his who his wife is and instead of killing him he simply throws him into prison so I think that's the first place he's Caught between a rock and a hard place with his wife. I think the second thing we can see is this. That he's livid that he's now lost his great prized possession in Joseph. Remember, everything that Joseph touched 
basically in Potiphar's house, were turned to gold. And we know how the Egyptians would work. The Egyptians worked on loving gods, lowercase g. And so in some way, I wonder if Potiphar thought that Joseph was some kind of god. And so that this now this god would be removed from his house, that all this success that Potiphar had would come to ruins as well. But he's stuck in a rock in a hard place. And he throws young Joseph, this young teenager, 20-something-year-old boy, into prison. But look at Joseph's response. If there's ever a time in someone's life they could become bitter towards God, angry at God, curse God, point the finger at God, become resentful towards God, ask God the how could you's, hey, I did all this, I, I, I ran from sin, I fled from sin, I did the thing you taught me to do, and yet now I'm in prison. But we see the heart of Joseph is steadfast in his love for God, his understanding that God was with him. He says it's his steadfastness in the midst of adversity. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But here is again the linchpin to the whole passage. But what? The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. He still understood that God was with him and God gave him favor. You see, no matter what happens in your life, no matter what happens in my life, we can be rest assured of this. God is with us and God is continuing to show us His steadfast love and pouring His favor out on us. Now again, God is with him. Again, we see Joseph staying steadfast. And God has a plan for Joseph that Joseph does not know. We know what's going to happen. You and I have read the text in chapter 40 and 41. We know that there would be these two other people in prison. We'll see that next week. And these two other people would have direct access back to Potiphar, back to Pharaoh. And see, God is working a plan all the while to put Joseph into a position to rescue his siblings, to redeem his people. You see, God's ways are not our ways, but we do trust in the sovereignty of God that he has a plan for us. So the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it successful. What does this have to do with us this morning? First and foremost, we must believe that God is with us in our trials. James says in James chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, we must be like Joseph. And we must count it all joy, my brothers and sisters. When we meet trials of various kinds, for we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, God allows temptation. God allows testing to produce steadfastness in our lives, to strengthen our faith, so that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. These trials that God is allowing us to go through is for our good and for His glory. Do we believe that this morning? So in closing, are we like young Joseph? Do we see that our success and all that we go through is the sovereign hand of God leading us in all that we go through? Again, may we count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when we meet trials of various kinds for the you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let me pray. God, I'm grateful for this story of young Joseph. First and foremost, that you were with him, and that he understood that. He wanted to not sin, not because of the success, but because simply you were with him. May that be true for us today. May we learn from young Joseph. And we must look to you and you alone. And resist sin because of you and you alone. God, let this, all these trials that we go through, the testing of our faith, produce steadfastness. So that steadfastness would have its full effect on our lives so that we may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We have no idea what 2021 holds, but we know this for sure. We will be tested. Sin will come our way. Temptation will come our way. May we stand the ground and say, how could I do such a wicked thing against my God? Give us that kind of boldness, God, we pray. Amen. Now for the benediction this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Grace and peace be with you today. Remember, we'll gather again January the 24th here at 1015 for our Sunday morning gathering. Grace and peace this morning.